I prepare for a message, I really seek the Lord about what he wants me to tell his people. Um, I take it very serious. And so I spend a lot of time praying initially before I read anything. I pray and see if the Lord gives me anything and, you know, if there are any themes in my life or any themes that I come across. And so um, in preparing for this, uh, this is what the Lord gave me. And I think it's for you. I think it's for young people. Uh, I think it's for old people uh, in between. Uh, if you don't consider yourself old, what, um, that's okay too. Um, but yeah, I really, really sought the Lord about this. And, um, and I think in, a, in our day and age, there are a lot of people who may be disappointed for whatever reason, uh, disappointed with life, uh, disappointed with where they are in their life, disappointed with church, disappointed with friends, with family, uh, with various reasons why someone may, may be disappointed. And so uh, just the Lord wanted me to encourage you. Uh, disappointment or his appointment. And so we're going to look at some pictures that I have for you. He he probably is very disappointed that he is playing golf and he shot the ball in the, in the water here. Um, you can move to the next one. That is a face that epitomizes disappointment. <laughs> uh, have you ever got a Christmas gift that you were so excited to open and then you open it and it wasn't what you expected. Um, that is disappointment. And if you read this one here, it says you failed wood shop. How am I going to show my face at the union hall? We are carpenter ants after all. And so I'm assuming this parent is disappointed in his child because he didn't pass carpentry. So, Anyway, there are many places where you can find disappointment in life. And, again, I want to encourage you. We're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look at several, we'll actually look at several verses in that. But we're going to start um, at verse 8. Start at verse 8 through 12. I'm going to read that initially, and then we're going to go back to, to the first verse in chapter 5. But 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me get there myself. Verses 8 through 12, and it reads, And it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let me come to me. Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha is the prophet. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash yourself in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And not Ab- Abna and Parfar, Farpar, I'm sorry, the rivers of Damascus better than all, these, all the waters in Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So here we have, at this point in the story, Naaman was disappointed. He was disappointed because he didn't get the answer he expected. And so let me give you some backstory. We're going to go to verse 1, but just wanted to say in that 
disappoint that Naaman was a disappointed person. Looking at Second Kings chapter five verse one. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, and he was a great he was great in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because though the Lord through the Lord through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was valiant he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And that, that verse really speaks to me when you're talking about uh, one thing. It says that our greatness is not dependent upon our weakness. Though Naaman was great, and it says he was great and he was valiant, he was a great soldier, but it also identifies a weakness of Naaman as well. And so I, I take that to mean that regardless of what my weakness is, God can still use me to be great and do great things. And he can do the same with you. Now, there may be some issues in your life that, you're, 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 that are bothering you, that disturbs you, but that doesn't mean that God cannot use you to do great things. God has used many people, flawed people in the Bible, to do great things. He's used Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David, Paul, Peter. All of these were great men in the Bible, but they had issues. They were not perfect. Only, the only perfect man in the Bible is Jesus. Um. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is, a, is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. The Bible is filled with people utilizing the grace of God to implement the plan of God. And so I want to encourage you, as flawed individuals, to tap into the grace of God, and you still can do great things, even with your flaws. Also in this verse, I learned that even in my greatness, God sees my weakness. So even though Naaman was a great man, and he said he was great in sight of his master, and he highly regarded, we still saw his weakness. And Naaman's weakness was, was very visible to the eye. But some of us, our weakness may not be very visible to everyone else, but it is still a weakness nonetheless. It is the thing that bothers us, that, that, that issue, uh, that thing that disappoints us or has us disappointed in life. And so 1 John 3 says, for greater than our hearts, and he, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And isn't it, isn't it good to know that I can't hide anything from God? And he knows the issues of my heart. And he knows whether I'm disappointed, whether I'm excited, whether I'm glad, whether I'm cheerful. He knows the issues of my heart because there's nothing he doesn't know about me. So here we have Naaman, this great man with an incurable disease. And I know last time I preached a couple months ago, um, leprosy, I talked about leprosy briefly then. It came, it's strange when I looked at this, I was like, oh, I'm talking about leprosy again. Um, the disease leprosy kills the nerves that send pain signals to the brain. So actually a leper dies because he can't feel any pain. And so, and then also the joints begin to swell and his fingers will fall off, their toes will fall off. And um, because they can't feel, they could burn themselves and don't know they're actually burning. And so actually uh, leprosy, they, it's a gradual death. And it starts with a small spot. Actually, I learned in all my research about leprosy, I know more about leprosy than I care to know. Um, 
And that's what happens sometimes when you're doing readings and studying. You learn a whole lot. So I only share with you guys probably 50% of all that I've, I've learned. Uh, but learned a lot about leprosy. But leprosy starts out as a small red spot. And then it grows and becomes a white, uh, scaly on your skin. and becomes shiny white spots on your skin. And then it worsens. Your fingernails fall off. Your toenails fall off. Even parts of your, your nose will fall off. And you just, it's a gradual death and you eventually waste away. And leprosy relates to sin and is much like sin in that it starts out small. But if it is left unchecked by God's unhealing power, it will begin to spread. And so many times in our life, we have the small issue at first, and then we begin to grow and grow and grow. And if it is left unchecked by God's healing power, it will begin to spread and spread into other areas of our lives. So Naaman knew this. He knew that he had this incurable disease. And even though he was a great man and seeing great in other people's eyes, he knew in his heart of hearts, he had this incurable disease. But there is hope for Naaman. In verse 2 of the same chapter 5, uh, Now bands of, from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to Naaman's wife, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, This young girl reminds me of Esther in that she was there for such a time as this. Out of all the things that could have been going on, out of all the people that possibly knew about Elisha, this young slave girl begins to tell Naaman's wife about there is a cure for his disease. Now, I can imagine that Naaman had tried several different things as a person of great stature and as a leader he had probably tried several cures to cure himself from leprosy. He had probably done all the things that everyone kind of told him that you could do to get rid of this leprosy. And so he was minding his own business, settled in his plight that I'm going to have to live with this leprosy. I'm going to have to be okay with this issue because I've tried everything that I knew to try and it hasn't worked and I'm okay. And so Naaman wasn't out seeking a healing like so many lepers in the Bible, Bible are, he was minding his own business. And he was settled in the fact that I'm going to be okay with this issue until this young girl comes and said, I know someone who can heal you. Now, I know Naaman was desperate. And as we can read after in uh, verse 4, 5, and 6, I know Naaman was desperate because he immediately t- took that word got money together, went to the king, his king, and said, hey, I need it. There, I heard there's a healing in Samaria. Can you help me out? Can you send a letter? And so he, the king writes a letter and saying, it's okay. I'm going to send you for the cure. And, uh, and so it takes a desperate man to take the word of a small slave girl in his quarters to act on. He was really desperate, and that's how you know he was desperate. And so many times in our life, we are settled with where we are with the plight that we have, with the issues that we have. Some of us are settled in knowing that, well, I've looked for a mate. I'm not going to get married, so I'm going to be okay with that. Some of us had a sickness or a disease and said, you know, I've gone to the doctor, and this is the, the diagnosis, and I'm just going to be settled in that this is it, and I'm not going to seek out anything else. I prayed, and I, I've asked God, and, 
you know, nothing's ha- nothing has happened. So I'm settled in my plight, just like Naaman was until this young girl came to him. And because Naaman had tried so much, he said, why not try this? He was desperate. He knew that his end would be death. He knew that I, this, this is, this is going to eventually kill me. And I want to find a healing for this. And I want to find my way out. And so he was desperate. And he wanted a change in his life. And so he was willing to do whatever it took to get that change to happen in his life. And are you willing to do whatever it takes to change your life? Are you willing to count up the cost and say, you know what? I'm desperate. I want to change my life. I can't live this way again. I can't be this way. I can't continue to have this issue in my life because the end of it will be death. And I need to seek out something better and greater. And this is what Naaman is doing. He's tried. Have you tried? Have you been desperate and tried many, many things? And you still come up with the same result. And it's left you disappointed and angry and upset and possibly upset and angry with God. But upset with people so you don't talk to anyone. Or you're upset with your family so you don't talk to them anymore. You're upset with your spouse and there's marital issues. And, you know, has the disappointment in life got such a hold on you that you've become resolved that this is the way it is and I can't expect any better? Well, there is good news. I don't want to leave you there. I won't leave you there. Well, there is good news. But I know how that people feel that way. I know how that feels. Sometimes I, I have felt in my life that, wow, I'm tired of doing this. <laughs> this, this is getting old. I can't keep going down the same road and coming up with the same result. And I need a change. I need a great change in my life. And feeling disappointed that that change hasn't come. Or feeling let down that, you know, I prayed and prayed for a spouse and I don't see it. I prayed and prayed for financial blessing and I don't see it. I prayed and prayed for my family to get saved and I don't see it. I prayed and prayed for my marriage to be changed and I don't see it. And I could imagine Naaman had done the same thing. He had prayed and prayed. But unlike Naaman, and hopefully unlike you, Naaman had not given up. He had not thrown in the towel. He had not said, this is it. Because at the word of the young slave girl, he decided to say, hey, I'm going to take this chance. I'm going to go out on faith. And he had a measure of faith in his desperation to see his healing. Naaman had came with money in hand. and He was going to pay and buy whatever it took for that change. And are you willing to do whatever it takes to change your life? to make it different, to make it better. So we look at verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter that uh, the king of Aram had written, he tore his robe and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. So the king of Israel was thinking that this was a trick. He was like, oh my God, why are you sending me? I, I'm not God. I can't do anything for you. And they thought that he was trying to, this was a, a, a way that he was going to start a battle with him. So there could be some kind of disagreement. He said, you're trying to start a quarrel, quarrel with me. But Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and sent message. Why have you torn your robe? Have a man come to me and he will know 
that there is a prophet in Israel. He says, so send Naaman. He sent a message to the king, says, send Naaman to my house. And um, I got a word from the God from God for him. And so that's what he did. And so I can imagine Naaman went to the king's house and, you know, the king did all this dramatic stuff. And I can imagine Naaman was like, oh, my God, here we go again. I'm trying to get healed. And here he is ripping his robe up and calling and making a big calamity. Maybe I should just go home right now because I can see this is probably going to be down the same road that I've been down many times before. But Naaman, because he is desperate and he is desperate for change in his life because he knows that if he doesn't get it, he will die. And I don't, he, he knows that he's a great man and he wants change in his life. So he goes to Elisha, Elisha's house, and a messenger meets Naaman at the gate and tells him to go dip himself in the Jordan. And your flesh will be, uh, dip yourself in the Jordan seven times in verse 10. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of this leprosy. Are not these rivers in Damascus better than this small river called the Jordan? Could not wash it and be cleansed in one of those he turned away in a rage. Naaman was so mad. Naaman was mad, one, because he had gone all this way. This wasn't a day trip. This wasn't a, I get in my car and drive down to Damascus, and I'm there within a few hours. Naaman packed up horses and mules and whatever they traveled on and walked several days to get to Damascus. It wasn't uh, uh, Damas- not several days to get to Samaria. Damascus was several uh, was in the northern kingdom, and Samaria was in the southern kingdom in Israel. And so they had to travel a certain, uh, probably several days, I'm assuming, to get there. And so he had gone all this way, and he had built up in his mind what it would look like when he got healed. And so many times we do that. We build up in our minds, when my deliverance comes, it's going to look like this. And it's going to be this grand thing, and the Holy Ghost is going to come in and fill me and Everything's going to be changed and everybody's going to look different. And we build it up in our mind. I can, I can imagine those days that he traveled. He got excited with anticipation and expectation that, that probably the whole city was going to come out because he was a great leader and he was a great man of this army and, and he was looked upon with such esteem and everyone's going to come out and he was going to, the man, Elisha was going to come and probably throw dirt on him and cast fire around and this big spectacle of everything and poof, he will be healed. But it did not happen like Naaman expected. And Naaman was desperate for his healing. And I'm sure we get to, uh, I'm sure Naaman felt like this, disappointed with God. He got to the gate and there was nothing there. Or he might have felt like this one. He was in Disappointment Valley. I like this picture. It talks about disappointment. But you got to realize when you go to the valley, there's also some mountains on the side. And in every valley, you could, you got to get in the mountain to get to, uh, get in the valley to get to the mountaintop. And we'll go to the next one. I mean, keep going. I think that was, that was it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Stop right there. We're good. I'm going ahead of myself. Sorry. Uh, but he was desperate. He was, 
and he turned away in a rage. Now, rage doesn't say he was just angry. A rage is he was angry, fiery, violent anger. I mean, he probably turned over some tables, tables, kicked some people, knocked some stuff around. He was mad. I mean, I can imagine he was like the Hulk. He kind of just busted out of his jacket and came running around. He was like, I'm fiery mad. I'm angry. I did not get what I expected. And uh, and the strange thing um, is that it wasn't that God didn't answer him. He just didn't get the answer he expected to get. It didn't happen the way he, he wanted to get. And so... What do you do when when you, when life doesn't meet your expectations? When the things that you built up and then you get it, it doesn't meet your expectations. Do you get angry? Hope you don't go in a rage. I don't. I would probably hear about it on the news if anybody went in a rage. Uh, maybe I did hear about you. I don't know. Um, do you blame others? Do you blame God? Adam blame Eve. Do you become bitter? Do you run and hide? Do you get depressed? When life doesn't meet your expectation? Or do you just be passive and say, this is what is dealt to me, and I'm just going to accept it and move on? We have an enemy. And that enemy is here to hinder us from making progress. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, it says, um, Paul said he wanted to go to the Thessalonians, but Satan hindered us or stopped them from going. And I, I would uh, commit to you that Naaman allowed the enemy to get in his mind and almost stop him from doing what Elisha told him to do. And how many times do we allow the enemy to get in our minds and almost sometimes, and sometimes he's been successful in stopping us from going where he wanted us, where the Lord wanted us to go. When your healing is at stake and you, and the answer didn't meet your expectation, then you didn't follow through with the answer. Have you just stopped your progress and what the Lord wanted to do in your life? I can imagine going to pastor and getting counseling and he counseled me and said, well, this is what you need to do. And there's healing in what he said, but because it wasn't what I wanted to hear or wasn't what I expected, I don't do it. And what if Naaman had turned away as he did in a rage and in an anger and said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to go into, go to the Jordan. I'm not going to do this. I'm turning away. I'm going to mind my own business. I'm not doing this anymore. How many times have we missed out on a blessing because we have allowed the enemy to hinder us in our thinking because our, it doesn't meet our expectation? And I, and I can imagine naming thought many things we can't become complacent about what we're doing or where we are we can't allow the enemy to keep us where we are we can't allow ourselves to keep us where we are sometimes we think the hand is dealt to us from god when in reality it is simply satan thwarting or harassing us 
in those instances, we can't become passive. The enemy has too often tried to gain control of our thoughts, of our lives, of our bodies. And as the believer, we have to fight the good fight of faith. In 1 Timothy 6, 12, it talks about fighting the good fight of faith. Now, it wouldn't say fight the good fight of faith if there weren't going to be a fight. There is a fight. It is literally a fight. And if you haven't seen the fight, it's not one with flesh and blood. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we could turn there. Ephesians chapter 6. Maybe I'm not going to get there. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm using this new Bible. Maybe I won't use this again. Um, <laughs> here we go. And let's go down to verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. If there wasn't going to be a fight, then there would be no need for armor. That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, in the places of your mind. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. It talks about all the things that you should put on. Young people, I was, um, I know this is the Young Adult Sunday, um, but be ready for a fight. <laughs> be ready to fight. For whatever the Lord blesses you with, you're going to have to fight to keep. And whatever he's promised you, you're going to have to fight to get. Um, and it's not going to come easy. I wish someone had told me this when I was 18 or 19. <laughs> you're going to have to fight for your marriage. You're going to have to fight for your kids. You're going to have to fight for your sanity sometimes <laughs> and the people's sanity around you. Um, it is a battle. I don't want to discourage you in that battle, but it is a battle. Uh, the encouraging part is that we win in the end. That's good news. You can clap on that. That's good news. We win. But you got to stay in the race. The race is not given to the swift. You know what I mean? You got to start out real fast. This is a marathon. You got to pace yourself. You got to do 10-minute miles, 15-minute miles. Just keep going. <laughs> Just keep running it. Yes, you got to keep running it because it's not a, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. And uh, I'm actually training for a marathon myself and uh, – you got to increase your miles. I'm at 15 miles now. Uh, I got to get up to 20 miles, and I think I'll be ready. But you just can't jump out the gate and say, I'm going to run 20 miles or 26 miles, uh, which is the marathon. And actually, you never actually run. I tell people, you never actually run a marathon training for a marathon. Because if you run the whole marathon, then <laughs> you ran your 26 miles. You There's different training things you can go through. Anyway, I digress. Um, but nevertheless, it is not a mar- it is not a sprint. It is a marathon, and you have to train yourself to battle. And that comes with some things, and we'll get to those things in a minute. And that's when I'm gonna have kids be sure to pay attention because those things are important. Um, now the bands from Aaron, and I'm sorry, where am I? Chapter. Uh, do you become resentful 
when you're disappointed, frustrated. But Naaman has some friends. He has some really good friends. And Naaman's servants, actually servants, was with him. Chapter, verse 13, uh, back to Second um, Kings chapter 5. Naaman's servant went to him, servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like a young boy. How many times? Now, if he had told you to swing across the the mountaintop and do this, and he would have felt like that's a great thing, I'm going to do that. But he told you something simple to do, and you're reluctant to do it. What's wrong with you? And those are his friends. And don't we all need people in our lives to help support us, to get us over that wall? Uh, sometimes it is important to have good people. And his, his the healing, God is sufficient. His healing is sufficient. Um, yes, I can see Naaman doing that right there. Uh, I envision him doing that. <laughs> Probably I would be, and his chains are broken, definitely. And he has been set free. How much more is it for us, important for us, as children of God, when God tells us simple things to do, but we're expecting this great, miraculous, difficult puzzle, but it is in the simple things that makes us whole. Uh, Genesis 5.20, it says, uh, but, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto my good to bring to pass as it, as it is this day to save much people alive. Uh, and I'm sure that he can say that to the enemy. The devil meant it for my bad. The devil was trying to get him in this rage to lose sight of what the Lord was trying to do in his life. But God meant it for his good. And so it is the simple things. It is the simple things that confound the, confound the wise. Uh, it is those simple things in our lives that we fail to put into practice that makes the biggest difference. It is not, and I've been to many great sermons and great services where, you know, everyone's laid out or all this great stuff going on. That's great. I praise God for those services, but it is what you do after that is going to make the difference. It is what you do every day, day to day, that is going to make the great change in your life. Those great services are great markers. A great message is a great marker to say, well, it started when I heard this message, and then I began to put into place what was preached, and that caused the change in my life. But it's not just the service itself. It's not just the word itself. But you have to apply it to your life. you got to make it real for you. Um, in Ephesians 3, now unto him that is able to do immeasurable more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that worketh in us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And uh, King James says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we or ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And that power is in us to do 
those great works. Pastor Taylor preached last week about the Holy Spirit being in us and living with us, and he, and he is Emmanuel, and he is God with us and in us, and he fills us. So I challenge you today, young people and old, and kids, you can pay attention because this is what I want you to take notes on. <laughs> challenge you today to do the simple things in life, and I challenge you and promise you that you will see great reward if you do these simple things. And not always look for the great things, but let's put into place these simple things. Um, I know many leaders have heard these this list before, and we're supposed to have it memorized. Um, but number one, praise. Praise and thanksgiving in your life. Every day, praise and thanks, thank God. Give thanksgiving. Number two, worship. If you, um, looking at Psalms 95, 6 and 7, 29, 1 through 2. And I won't write those down. I won't turn there. So if you, you praise and thanks God, thank God every day. You worship him every day. Pray every day. Read and study your word every day. Meditate and memorize some scripture every day. Whether it's one verse, if you do one verse a month, I think uh, Pastor Taylor challenged the leaders to do one verse a month. I, I will confess, since confession is the next one, um, <laughs> that I have not done. <laughs> I have not met that challenge, but um, I am. I'm going to meet that challenge. Uh, but we want praise. We want worship. We want prayer every day. Reading and studying the word every day. Meditation and memorization of the word confessing the word that's not the confession that we're talking about confessing meaning to agree admit acknowledge and promise to follow through with the word confessing it in your life applying it in your life over a situation confessing that you are the head and not the tail confessing that i am um i can't do this i can do all things through christ who strengthens me i can do those impossible things because he lives within me confessing that in the situation at the moment and seeing it and applying it in your life and seeing what happens. And then finally, sharing the word. Those are seven things. I go over them again. Praise, worship, prayer, reading and studying, meditation and memorization, confession of the word, and then sharing the word of God. I, I promise you, I challenge you, and I'm, it's a challenge to just, it's not just to you, it is also to me. Because uh, the Lord always gives me a word, and I think it's always for me first, because I get it first. Uh, and then I share what, what he's saying to me. But it is a challenge for me as well um, to do these things, apply these things every day in your life, and you will see the change in your life that you are desiring. Now, I know that's not what you expected. <laughs> because, again, our expectation is you're going to come up in a line, and someone's going to lay hands on you, and it's going to be gone. And I don't have to deal with that issue anymore. Wouldn't that be so easy? I pray that prayer every time. <laughs> Lord, just have them lay hands on me and let that issue be just gone. But it's not that easy. Because he is working in something greater in us. And I, and, uh, I can go back to think about Naaman, that it wasn't just the healing that Naaman needed to work on. It was his pride. 
And so Naaman talked about, well, these rivers are so much greater in, in Damascus. Why do I need to dip in this little river? And I can see myself saying, uh, I can, you know, I can do that over there. Why do I need that here? Uh, but he was working on the pride, but Naaman just thought it was just about the healing. And so many times in our lives, he's working on something that we hadn't even, we hadn't seen yet. And so we're thinking it's about this one thing that we want to get rid of or this one thing that we're praying about. And God is saying, hey, you know, I'm working on 10 different things along with that. And so we can't get discouraged. So let's fight the good fight of faith, fight the right battles and thank God that his love endures forever. First uh, John 4, 4, you dear children, you are God and have come, overcome them because the one who is greater in you is greater than he that is in the world. And that not that good to know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? And I can overcome any situation, any mountain, anything in my path. I can overcome it. If I meet this challenge, if I praise God, if I worship, if I pray, if I read and study every day, if I meditate and memorize and confess the word in my life and share the word of God, I can overcome anything, any challenge. And I like a contest. So you could, you could say it's a contest. You gonna outdo the next guy. I'm going to outdo Elder Sam. I'll make sure I pray more. I'm going to outdo Pastor Taylor and pray more and read more and worship more. And, uh, because I want to see change in my life. I need healing from certain things in my life. And I can't, um, I'm not going to be like Naaman and say, well, it hadn't happened this great way that I wanted it to happen. So I'm just going to give up. I'm going to keep pressing forward. So I wanted to read 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. I'm, a, I'm not going to read all of it. We've got a couple more things to do. But I do want to get to some of it. And it's not on the PowerPoint, I know. I didn't. It's one of the ones I got later. Uh, it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And I can read the whole thing. It's really good. Uh, and I, I like verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, we receive mercy. Do not lose heart. And I want to encourage you, do not lose heart. Do not let life get the best of you. Do not lose heart. Be encouraged. So jump down to seven. But we have this treasure, and this treasure is him, in earthen vessels that is surpassing greatness of power, may be of God and not, of our, not from ourselves. We are afflicted on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Isn't that strange? You're carrying the death of him in our bodies that we might have his life. It's just, I know it's confusing, but it's great. It's just, just hearing it. Um, unlike when the play, she didn't want to carry Jesus with her. She didn't want to go out with him. Um, 11, for we, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death from Je- for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death work in us, but life in you. And you can read that. I love that. I love that. Um, this passage of scripture. It's great. 
but again, want to encourage you. And there is a poem that I came across. That's why I came with my title, Disappointment by His Appointment. Uh, I don't know if have some of you heard it. Uh, it's a really great poem. I, I loved it, and I changed my message because my message was, when life hurts, God heals. Uh, I, I thought about some other things, too. When life kick you and you can fill in the blank, uh, <laughs> God is able to heal you. I figured that was for Jason. <laughs> um, this is a poem by Edith Lillian Young. And if you want to get it, it's in the back in the table. Uh, it's called Disappointment, His Appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise. For the end from the beginning, for the end from the beginning, open to his wisdom wisdom lies. God knows the end at the beginning. Disappointment, his appointment, whose? The Lord who loves me best, understands and knows me fully, who my faith and love would test. For like loving earthly parents, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts unquestioned all that from his wisdom flows. Disappointment, his appointment. No good thing will he withhold. From denials often we gather treasures of his love untold. Well, he knows, well, he knows each broken purpose leads to fuller, deeper trust. In the end of all his dealings proves our God is wise and just. Disappointment, his appointment. Lord, I take thee then as such, like the clay and hands of potter, yielding wholly to thy touch. All my life's plan is thy molding. Not one single choice is mine. Let me answer unrepining. Father, not my will, but thine. Amen. Um, I want you to be encouraged and not be disappointed with life and be challenged to know that in the small things that you do every day will have the greatest change in your life. It is those everyday choices that we make, those small things that we do that has a greater impact on our lives than the big show or to do. So I want to encourage you. So, kids, have you been taking notes? Anyone? Come down. I have some goodies. Yes, <laughs> those seven priorities of life. So I have any takers? Come up, I'll come down here, actually. No, come up, come up, come up. All right, oh, wait, wait, whoa. Let's line up over here. All right, I just want one of the priorities from you, okay? Just one, so we'll go in order. And then if we got more than seven, we'll repeat and take some more, okay? All right? So what priority are you going to give me? All right, well, that's not one of the priorities. 
But that's good, though. He is greater in our hearts, and he knows everything. You got one of the priorities? Yeah, he took notes on the message. Let me see what you... Oh, you took a lot of notes. Oh, my goodness. There you go. You start here. You got so many notes. Wow. There you go. You have it up there. Praise. Praise. Good job. There you go. Good job. You have one? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Good. Jacob? Meditate. Meditation. Good job. It took me months to get all seven. I still had to look at my notes. <laughs> what's your name? I'm sorry, what's your name? Christian. All right. And what's, which one are you going to give me? Number two, worship. Worship. It's an important one. Number two, worship. Name? Isaac. Isaac. Which one are you going to give me, Isaac? Prayer. Prayer. The most powerful one, I think, sometimes. <laughs> all right. David. David, which one you have for me? Reading and studying. Reading and studying. Good. Good job. Josh, seven, sharing the word God. Yes, right. Good job. Sharing the word of God. Christopher, six, confession of the word. Yes. Good job. Confession. Uh, you don't need any cookies. No. <laughs> What's your name? Victoria. All right, Victoria. Meditation. A memorization. Meditation. Did you spell it? Let me see your spelling. Oh, memorization is not spelled right. <laughs> your name? Lily. Lily. Which one you got for me? Number one, praise. Praise. Good job. Here you go. Oh, don't. Oh, you don't want it. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Good job, you guys. Good job. Now, we got a surprise because this is. Clergy Appreciation Month. We're going to ask Pastor and Miss Minerva to come up. Um, you can clap. He is a great pastor. He is awesome. He is wonderful. <laughs> um, we wanted to do something for you. For Clergy Appreciation Month. We want to give and honor you with some flowers, Miss Whenever. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, yes. Um, again, we just want to thank you for all the work that you do. As our leader, you watch over our souls, um, and it is a serious job. I know that when I was called into the ministry early on, and I didn't take it lightly because I didn't want to preach. I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to be a pastor. Because I know the weight that that carries. And um, you have to watch over our souls and your family. And I know the weight that it carries for your family and your, your children. Um, you have to walk a different life than everyone else. And you have to be different. And that's not always easy to be different. Um, and people will hurt you and, and, and say bad things about pastors. And, and, it, and it can be a difficult job. It's probably one of the most difficult jobs in, in, um, 
in our lives. But I just want to thank you for being a great pastor. Um, I think I, I'm just a blessed, me and my family are just very blessed because when we moved here, uh, we, we were leaving a great pastor. We thought we had it, you know, we did have it. He's a great pastor. Um, and, and so I knew what to look for, I guess, because I wound up with another great pastor who really is concerned about me, uh, who cares about my soul and my life. And, uh, and I just honor you today because of all that you've done for me, but not just for me, but for this ministry and for this body that you are concerned about us. Um, even when we're not thinking about it, you're concerned about us and you're concerned about the things that um, I know for me, you're, you're concerned about things that I wasn't necessarily concerned about. And so I appreciate that. So we have this gift for you. you come up here. I want them to uncover it. They can. Yeah. You come up. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, you can lift it up. <laughs> also, that what comes with this is a stove that would be installed. <laughs> Obviously, it was a need, I guess. And uh, so there's a stove that would be installed. I don't know when, but um, I'm sure... Friday? This Friday. So you got to make sure you're home. That. <laughs> but uh, it's probably from 8 to 5. They'll give you a time window. But, you know. <laughs> but they'll be there. You want some words to say? You want him? I just want to thank everyone for giving me an opportunity. Uh, not only me, but uh, my wife, Minerva, uh, and my family. Uh, because we're, we're part, all a part of, of, of ministering. And I thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve you because that's all we are, is servants. And, and we love you, and, and we'll do anything for you. We really appreciate all that you, you all do. And, and um, I just thank God for each one of you because all of you are a blessing to uh, our family. And, um, and we just thank God that, that we have opportunity to be a part of this ministry because it's God's ministry. And we just thank, thank God that he's allowed us to serve. Amen. Thank you, guys.